18, Luke 18. Luke chapter 18 this morning. Got a couple extra uh, announcements here before we go ahead and get started that we wanted to share. Uh, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but next week is a uh, kind of a busy week with some things going on. Just want to let everybody know uh, we're going to be doing a youth church camp coming up here fairly soon. Information back there on the back. If you have not grabbed that one, make sure we stress that. And also uh, Johnny and Friends mission trip. So not this week. But the following week, we got two big events going on. we got the kids going to youth camp, so just keep them in prayer for safety and for spiritual edification. We also have a group doing a short-term missions trip to Shawnee, Ohio, to do a uh, help out down there. So keep them in prayer. With that being said, that's going to be, once again, June 23rd to 28th. If you look on the bottom of your bulletin there, what happens is there's going to be a uh, Facebook page that's been started up for that. For those people going to that uh, short-term missions trip, are going to give some updates on just what the Lord is doing and things that you can pray for. So I encourage you to take a look at that. And that is on the bottom over here on your bulletin. Take a look at that. Once again, that's not this week, but following. Also, after service here today, if we can have some people head to the back, we need to set up a lot of tables for a garage sale giveaway. So if some people could go back there and help after church today, we would appreciate that as well. All right, Luke 18. Lots of stuff here to talk about. Now, Luke 18 is one of those chapters where it kind of just keeps going and it keeps flowing. And if time was not an issue, it would be great just to continue with this and it just builds up. And you hate to do this, but you have to find a spot to stop. And you have to find a stop to say, okay, we're going to have to pick this up again next week. With that being said, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do the first 14 verses here of Luke 18. They flow together all so nicely but we're going to stop after verse 14. And we're going to finish with here communion this morning. We thought this was a great study that went into this idea of communion. And uh, hopefully you'll be blessed by that. So with that being said, let's jump right into this. Luke 18, verse 1. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, when we first hear this, we have a tendency to think, okay, the simple application is this, is that we can nag God into answer prayer. If I just keep praying enough, if I keep begging and pleading enough, eventually God's going to answer me and give in. You know, for those that have kids at home, you know exactly what that's like. They just keep asking and asking and asking. The other day I heard something where one of the boys was asking Dawn something, and another one of the boys was asking Dawn something, and another one came up and asked her something, and Dawn's response was something to the fact of, I don't even know what you asked, but the answer is yes. Just that idea of, just go do it. We see this almost spiritually. That's what this sounds like. Problem is, this is something called a parable of contrast. We're supposed to contrast God to the judge that's in here. Because look at the description of the judge. This can't be a picture of God. Look at verse 2. This judge did not fear God nor regard man. Some translations did not care about people. Look at verse 4. I do not fear God nor regard man. And look at verse 6. Jesus describes him as unjust. This is not a picture of God. This is the complete opposite. The point is this. Basically, if this unjust judge... If this judge, who is not a godly person, will eventually help a widow, how much more will your loving Heavenly Father help you? 
if this unjust, ungodly man who does not care about people will help somebody, how much will your loving Father help you? That's the point. Look at verse 7. And shall God not avenge His own elect, His chosen people, that's us, who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? God will help us. And He not only will help us, but verse 8, He'll help us speedily, quickly. That word speedily in the original Greek is where we get our English word tachometer. An attack amateur in a car that shows the engine RPMs. Something quickly, something speedily, God says, I'll help you. Now, that's a great application. God loves us. He'll answer our prayers. He'll answer our prayers quickly. Amen. Problem is, your definition of quickly and God's definition of quickly sometimes are two completely different things. And sometimes you've been praying for things, and it's not as quick as you want it to be. I shared this story a couple Wednesdays ago, and I'll share it again here real Real quick, someone came up to me a while ago and mentioned a comment about praying for somebody. And they just made a comment that they're just praying for this loved one to come know Christ and that they've been praying for so long and they were just ready to give up. And I asked them, well, how long have you been praying for this person? They said, three weeks. Three weeks and nothing's happened yet. Our definition of quick is different than God's definition of quick. We live in this McDonald's fast food society. So therefore, when I say, Lord, fill in the blank, I need a godly woman, ungodly mate, Amen. I expect her to knock on the door the next moment. We want that immediate answer. And so when God does not answer right away, what do we do? Go back to verse 1. We lose heart. God doesn't care. God doesn't listen. He's not answering. What's the point of praying? We studied in Jeremiah just a week or two ago that it took 10 days for Jeremiah to get his answer. We studied in Daniel that it took 21 days for Daniel to get his answer. Now, some of you are thinking, 10 days, 21 days? I'd love that. Because I've been praying decades. Decades for my children. Decades for my husband. Okay, still verse 1. Do not lose heart. There's a great passage in Daniel where it says, When Daniel prayed for an answer, and it took three weeks for the answer to come, the Bible makes it clear that God heard his prayer that instant that day that Daniel prayed it. What an amazing concept to think about, that as soon as you pray, as soon as I pray, God immediately hears. It doesn't fall on deaf ears. He immediately hears. Now, why doesn't he answer right away? That's a deeper situation that we'll get to. But the thing is, he does hear and he does answer. And in his time frame, he answers speedily. He answers quickly. He asks us to not lose heart. How quickly do we lose heart? How quickly, when it's the answer that we do not want to hear or like to hear, how quickly do we just give up? I've shared this example with you before, but when they were uh, having the, the battle, who could climb Mount Everest first? We know that Sir Edmund Hillary was the first one to get to the top of Mount Everest, but there was other expeditions that went before him, and one expedition stopped short of the top of Everest by about 1,000 feet. They gave up. A thousand feet from the top. A thousand feet from immortality, if you will, of being famous. And they gave up. How many of us spiritually have given up, we've lost heart, verse 1, just when that wall was about to be knocked down? When there was just about to be a spiritual breakthrough in our lives, we've been praying for something, and we just gave up. He is never going to change. He's never going to be that way. I'm done praying. She's always going to be that way. I give up. I'm never going to find the right person. I'm never going to get the right job. And we just lose heart. And we give up. God says, verse 1, always ought to pray and not lose heart. 
Problem is, when God's not answering as quick as what we want, we have a tendency to take matters into our own hands. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We reach a spot of where we start trying to push God in prayer. Matthew 6. He's not answering quick enough. He's not answering the way I want. So if I would just pray more, more often, more fasting, more scripture reading, I could wear God down. He eventually will give in, as you're going to Matthew 6. He'll eventually give in and answer because he'll see my devotion to him. See, we're missing a key component here. We're not trusting the Lord in his answer. If God says my answer is the best answer, and if we trust and believe that, then we need to wait for that answer no matter how long it takes. If we could wear God down, if we eventually could get him to say yes to anything we want, then he's not really being a loving father. A loving father sometimes says no. And we need to sometimes accept that. Look here at prayer in Matthew 6, verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, this verse is not a verse against asking for prayer or praying publicly. Every Wednesday night, we try to set aside time for people to lift up prayer requests. There is, throughout the Bible, this constant theme of asking for prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. What it's saying here in verse 5 is when the person is just asking for prayer or giving that prayer request as attention for themselves. Dawn and I, about 15, 16 years, years ago, used to lead a study in our house. And we had a couple people that we'd have this open time of prayer requests. And they wanted to lift up prayer requests just for it to be about them. You could just tell. They wanted that attention. They wanted that, look what I'm going through. Look what I'm asking for prayer for. It was that verse 5. As it says at the end of verse 5, they got their reward. They got that attention from man. Their heart really wasn't interested in prayer and communion and fellowship with God. It was interested in attention. Look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Once again, this is not a verse against public times of prayer. But what it's saying is prayer is between you and the Lord. This is a time for your heart to be molded and shaped into what God wants it to be. So often we look at prayer requests, and we say this all the time, that we're praying for this person to change. We're praying for this person to get out of my life. We're praying for this person to be better. Because once they change, once they're out of my life, and once they're better, will make my life easier. Lord, get rid of that co-worker. Lord, get rid of that person at work. Lord, get rid of that. Lord, God may be saying, I want your heart to adapt to them. Your heart to be more of a loving heart. Sometimes prayer does not change the situation. Prayer changes the way we look at the situation. And so we have to realize here in verse 6, when it says that we're in the secret place of prayer with the Father, sometimes the Lord is changing you on the inside. That's the purpose of prayer. You're praying for that situation to change, and God says, no, I'm going to keep that situation the same, but I'm going to change the way you handle that situation and mold you into more of an image of God. But what we want to get to is verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This verse was a life-changing verse for me. When I first got saved and I was praying about things, I just assumed that the more I prayed about it, the more likely God was going to answer it. I just assumed that the more times I did it, the Lord would hear. And my prayers turned into this begging, pleading prayers to the Lord. This idea of, Lord, please just do this. I'm begging you and pleading you. You know how much I want this, and I just lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Ten seconds later, Lord, I just give this to you again. I'm just begging you and pleading with you. And it became this vain repetition. That vain repetition, that word literally is translated into babbling. This idea of we just keep repeating words again and again. We're never stopping and saying, Lord, I present this request to you. I trust you in this request. This is what I would like. This is my wisdom, but I trust you. And Lord, work in my heart to handle this. See, prayer is this time of me growing to be more like God and God shaping me to be more like Him. Too often we treat prayer like God is just this to-do list. Lord, please do this, this, or this. God is Santa Claus. Lord, I want this, this, and this. That's not what it is. And so we use vain repetitions. We use the babbling words. Lord, just do it. Just do this. That's not what it is. So if you're finding yourself, you can jump back to Luke 18. If you're finding yourself starting to lose heart, let me ask you, why is it? God's not answering quick enough? We just studied and read in in verse 7, excuse me, in verse 8, that he'll take care of you speedily. I just encourage you to wonder, is your quick enough the same as God's quick enough? Once again, we do this all the time. Kids will come up and ask for something at home and be like, Dad, can you come do this? I say, yeah, just a minute. Well, my just a minute is like 25 minutes. My just a minute is let me finish this project I'm doing and I'll get to you. Judah sometimes who has a very analytical mind will go literally watch a clock for a minute. He'll come back and say, it's been a minute. It's like, well, that's not exactly what you meant. But you said just a minute. I understand. Let me finish this and I'll get to that. I think we do that sometimes spiritually. Lord, here's the situation. I pray. I expect that answer. God's just a minute is different than your just a minute. Do you trust his time frame? Do you trust his answer? That if he says no, that no is best for you. If he says yes, that yes is best for you. If he says wait, that wait is best for you. Too often with prayer, we're trying to push our agenda. This is my wisdom. This is my intellect. This is what I feel is best, Lord. So I'm just asking you to do it. And when he says no, we whine, we fuss. At the Irvin house, you can ask once for something. And after you ask once, I don't know how this first started, but after you ask once, you're allowed to come back and ask us, will you reconsider? And I don't even know how we started that. It sounds so official. Will you reconsider? So the boys will come and ask to do something. And if we say no, they'll come back a second time and say, Dad, will you reconsider? And I'll say, sometimes I'll say, you know what? Yeah, we can do that. Or sometimes I'll say no. Now, Layden, our fourth one, who's three, doesn't get the whole, will you reconsider? So he'll say, Dad, will you reconsider? And I'll say, no, Layden, we're not going to do that. Dad, will you reconsider? No, Layden, we're not going to do that. And his, will you reconsider, just gets more whiny and more fussy. But he's doing it right. He's saying the right thing. Dad, will you reconsider? But his heart's not right. See, what God is trying to get here in Luke 18 is, how is your heart? You may be saying the right things, but how is your heart? Lord, I trust you completely in this situation. Your will be done. But in your heart, you're really saying, you better do it my way. And if you don't do it my way, I'm going to whine and going to fuss because this is what I really want. And this is what's best for me. And this is fill in the blank. Do you realize, biblically speaking, that sometimes God will give you what you want just to teach you a lesson? I mean, He does. If you look back when they were coming out of Egypt, they were begging and pleading for things. And God finally said, do it. And they suffered the consequences for it. Sometimes the Lord says, that's what you want, that I will let you have what you want to remind you that you don't know what you want. 
So that when this falls apart, this will be a teaching lesson for you. It's done in love. We have to trust his time frame. We have to trust his answer. And as we trust his time frame and as we trust his answer, our responsibility is to what? Not lose heart. One last verse on this before we go on. You can write this down. Great verses. Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Just think about your prayer life right now. Are there things that you're giving up on? Giving up on relationships, giving up on on job situations, giving up on things ever changing. This is how it's always going to be. Do not lose heart. Trust his time frame. Trust his answer. And realize that a loving God hears you right away. And a loving God answers what's best for you, even though we don't see it. Let's continue on here with Luke 18. Because it continues with this idea of prayer. It says in verse 9, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. It says two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now we'll stop there for a second. Did you catch verse 11? Who is the Pharisee praying with? Himself. He wasn't praying with God. He was praying with self. Have you ever prayed with yourself? I love praying with myself. Because I finally find somebody who thinks just like me. We, we finally agree on everything. I think I'm the world's best counselor because I agree with what I'm going through and I see it from my perspective. Have you ever had a prayer that starts out holy and righteous and turns into a prayer with yourself? Now, I, I, I pick on Dawn a lot. I'm not saying this is about Dawn specifically, but I'm sure this has happened in my marriage. Of Lord, I give you Dawn and I, and I just pray that you'd grow us. Help me to become the man of God you've called me to be. Help her to become the woman of God that you've called her to be. Because, Lord, she struggles with so many things. And, Lord, the other day, boy, she just got so upset the other day. And I don't even know why she was upset. And why was she ticked like that? And it becomes a prayer with myself. And I just go on venting and ranting and raving. I catch myself and I say in the name of Jesus, amen. It was a prayer with myself. And I sometimes believe that we're most of our prayers are prayers with ourselves. Lord, I'm really struggling at work. I just pray to be with that person because that person's so difficult and it's horrible and it's tough and I just don't, I just, and it goes on and on with ourselves. And we like it because we like what we hear. We like what we say. I know some people that will come up to me and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but they'll come up and they'll say, I really prayed about this and I really think this is what I should do. And they give me that answer. And that answer does not sound biblical in any way whatsoever. But they assured me that they have prayed about this. And I think they have prayed about it. And I think verse 11, they prayed with themselves for many hours on that situation. And they and themselves have come up with this great solution that benefits themselves. You've got to be careful with your prayer that your prayer is directed towards God. And that you're listening to what he has to say. Because you can, verse 11, spend a lot of time praying with yourself and get absolutely nothing out of it. we got to be careful. What does this have to do with this man being self-righteous? Because this man obviously had all the answers. This man had it all figured out. As we joke out here all the time, how do I know that you're such a strong Christian? Because you constantly tell me how strong of a Christian you are. How do we know this man was righteous? Because he tells us he's righteous. Verse 11, God, I thank you I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This man is amazingly righteous because he told us he's amazingly righteous. And so what is he doing in verse 9? He's despising others. He's looking down at others. Some translations say he's scorning others. 
It literally means to make of no account, meaning you mean nothing to me because my eyes are only focused on myself. I had a pastor friend that used to tell me that a lot of people have a case of ingrown eyeballs. The only thing they see is themselves. Look at this guy's wording in verse 11. I thank you that I am not like other men. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This guy's all about himself. And so what happens is, since he's so self-righteous, it's all about him, he doesn't even see the spiritual problems that he has. He's praying with himself, and it's all about him. See, here's the problem. A phrase I like to use is you've got to be careful that you don't ever get into what I call comparative Christianity. When you start comparing yourselves to other people. Because when you start comparing yourselves to other people, it's really easy to elevate yourself. So I can sit up here and say, listen, I know I need to do a better job as a father. I need to do a better job as a pastor. I need to do a better job as a husband. But I've seen some fathers, and I'm a lot better than them. I know some pastors, and I'm better than them. And I know some husbands, and I'm a lot better than them. So, Lord, thank you, because I know how bad it could be. Comparative Christianity. I set myself up to a standard of others. So when I see that I'm better than them, well, then I don't feel guilty or convicted. Because I don't think I'm doing all that bad. But just like verse 11 and 12, at least I'm not like him. Oh, you think I'm a rough husband? Well, at least I'm not like him. And that's what we do. Comparative Christianity. It also flips around the other way. You start comparing others. And all of a sudden your spouse is never good enough because you compare your spouse to other people's spouses. See, it's a dangerous thing. Your kids. Your kids aren't doing what's right. Yeah, but my neighbor's kids. Ho, 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 ho. That's a whole other level of bad kids. At least my kids aren't like those kids. That's not the standard. The standard is of Jesus Christ. That's the standard. So this Pharisee, verse 11 and 12, this guy was a wonderful, great guy because he just compared himself to extortioners, unjust, adulterers, tax collectors. Of course he's wonderful. That's that self-righteousness that comes out. And I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me something along that type of line. Of, listen, I know there's things to work on, but I tell you, some of the guys I work with, man, they're at a whole different level. My wife should just be happy that she has somebody like me. It's not about comparing yourself to others. It's the standard that Jesus Christ has set up. How are we meeting that standard? Because look at the heart issue here, verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, look at the setup that God did. If you jump back to verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. Now, we know how the story goes, so we know what Jesus was doing. But 2,000 years ago, this had been so easy to tell. This would have been, you could tell right away who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. As soon as he says Pharisee, well, that's the good guy. As soon as he says tax collector, that's the bad guy. Jesus completely flipped it around. And that was the point, is you can't tell someone's heart. This tax collector, verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, that is one of the best prayers in the entire Bible. Lord, I am just a sinner that needs mercy. Verse 14 I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're constantly lifting yourself up by your self-righteousness, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. At least I'm not doing that. That's not the standard of Jesus. The standard of Jesus says this is what God wants. That is what we're trying to become. 
When we do that comparative Christianity, we start then thinking, well, I'm not bad because I can always find somebody who's worse than me. And that becomes a very self-righteousness. Yeah, I know there's things I need to work on, but at least I'm not fill in the blank. Be careful, verse 11. Be careful with your prayer time that your prayer time is not with yourself. That your prayer time is with the Lord. It's difficult sometimes to pray about things. Because when we pray about things, sometimes we don't like the answer that God gives. I don't know how many times that I've been going through devotions and praying about something, and I'm praying saying, Lord, give me something to use to help this person, or give me something to use to help the body. Instead, the Lord just keeps picking out the flaws I have in my life. No, Lord, ignore my flaws, because I know these other people that have flaws. Give me a scripture to help them with their flaws. And so it's easier, verse 11, to pray with myself. We've got to be careful about these things. We've got to be careful. And what you see here in verses 1 through 14 is you see this concept of prayer. Of what? Verse 1, not losing heart. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. Maybe you're ready to give up. It's never going to change. And I don't know whatever situation that is, but it's never going to change. You don't have enough wisdom and intellect to decide that. You don't. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Remember, verse 8, he answers speedily. Remember, his quickly is different than your quickly. Be faithful. As we just read in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary and do not lose heart. Next, Make sure that your prayers, when they're not being answered the way you want, that you don't turn into a self-righteous prayer. That I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read more, and I'm going to fast more, and God has to answer. It doesn't work that way. All those things are good, and I encourage you to do it, but that's not going to move God. God will answer in His time frame when He knows what's best. Remember, do not go to the vain repetitions, the babbling. I'm just going to eventually wear them down. Your God loves you. The Lord loves you and will answer in His time frame on what's best for the situation. Be careful, verses 9-14, through 14, that we don't become this self-righteousness where I know that I have things to work on, but at least I'm not... Whatever. No. Let's compare ourselves to the standard of Christianity that Christ set, and that's the only thing that matters. And look at verse 13 one more time. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. How simple is that? And that's why we wanted to finish with communion today is because there are so many things here. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. I just want to read a passage here about communion. And this is a great segue into what we're going to do. 1 You know, anytime we do communion, we always have this time of where we examine ourselves. And Bobby, if you're going to go get them, they can come in. And that comes out of 1 Corinthians 11. It says in verse 27... Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine ourselves. See, when we get ready to partake of communion, it's a time for you and the Lord to pretend that no one else exists. This is a time for you to examine yourself and say, these are the areas I'm failing in, these are the areas I'm struggling in, these are the areas I'm sinning in. Lord, Help me. Help me to not be the self-righteous Pharisee. Help me to not lose heart in prayer. Help me to not grow weary and give up. And I need this refreshment, Lord. 
Because it only comes from the Lord that you can have this refreshment. And as we partake of communion, this is what it represents. As we partake of the bread, that represents the body of Christ that was beaten. The body of Christ that took the punishment for our sins. As we partake of the cup, that represents the blood that gives forgiveness of sins. And that's why it's so important as we partake of these things. I heard a pastor say one time, this is the closest we can get to the cross. As we partake of communion, it almost takes us back to the cross to see what Jesus did. And when you see what Christ did, that encourages us and edifies us to say, Lord, you did this so that I may live today. Because you come in here today, I come in here today. We're tired physically, emotionally, spiritually. This is that encouragement to say, okay, I'm not going to lose heart because I look back 2,000 years ago and I see what Jesus did for me. Now, parents, as we see, we have the kids coming in. We bring in the older kids and we leave it up to you, parents, to see if you believe your child is old enough to understand and grasp communion. If they are, we want you to have them partake of it with you. We also have something out here at church called an open communion policy, meaning we don't have church membership. Communion is open. To anybody who is a a member of the body of Christ, if you've accepted Christ. And I believe that's why it's so important to do two things before we partake of communion. Number one, to make sure the gospel message is presented clearly. This idea of that I am a sinner. As we just read what that tax collector said, Lord, be merciful on me, a sinner. Sinner. I have missed God's perfect standard. I'm not eligible for heaven because of my sin. But God's mercy, God's grace, as John was talking about that study... Those two wonderful terms, grace, God giving us something that we don't deserve. Grace, he's giving us salvation in heaven. Mercy, God not giving us what we do deserve. We deserve punishment. But God says, I love you enough that through Christ, that punishment is taken care of. The other one is for those that are walking with the Lord, if you find yourself going backwards instead of forwards, this is a wonderful time to stop and say, Lord, I examine myself and I do see the things that need to be changed in my life. Lord, create in my heart a clean heart. Acknowledge the areas in my life that need to be worked on. Lord, help me to move forward in that. So why don't we do this? Let's pray. Let's pray to have our hearts open to Him. Lord, we come to You now as we just get ready to partake of communion. I pray that our hearts are open to what You have to say. I think of this passage again. Let a man examine himself. Lord, if there's areas in our life that need help, I pray in the name of Jesus that You would give us the strength to say yes to what we need to say yes to and no to what we need to say no to. I just pray that you'd help us in those areas of weakness. If there's somebody here that is losing heart, encourage them. If there's somebody here frustrated that the answer is not coming quick enough, encourage them. If there's somebody here who's walking in self-righteousness, Lord, reveal to them the areas they need to work on. Do this through your grace and your mercy and the leading of your spirit. If there's someone here that does not know you, I pray that you're speaking to their heart right now what it really means to know you, to be saved from hell, and to have heaven through you. Let us quiet our hearts before the Lord and just go to Him quietly as we pray this. Lord, it's really easy in times like this to feel completely overwhelmed by everything that's wrong in our lives. But Lord, you are a sure foundation. And as we sang this morning, we may trust in you. And we trust that you will see us through whatever we're facing physically, emotionally, or spiritually. 
and that you be the loving God that's there for us. And we say thank you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. The guys that are helping with communion.